21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. You have received the Distinguished Medal Award and what, what's the name of the other one? You will tell us for Outstanding Leadership. Can you tell us more about why you were given these awards? Interesting question. Yes, the the Robert A. Met Leadership Award for outstanding uh, participation in uh, combined arms training. Um, you know, I think that I bossed other people around a little bit better than the others. <laughs> Maybe I was a little bit more bossy. Good anti-stress program. That's right. I was louder and more bossy, so I got the leadership award. I guess that's uh, that's probably how I would distill it down. But you know, I think a lot of times people just, depending on your age and your maturity, how serious you take things. So I was, you know, took all of our training very serious, and I wanted to make sure all of our all of my fellow Marines were safe and ready to be uh, engaged. So I think that that probably played a role in in receiving that award. By the way, just a quick question. What other obligations do you have for your Marines? They need to be safe. They need to be legally safe as well. They need to be emotionally safe. So there are different levels, yes? For NATO, NATO leadership. Absolutely. I'd say that the officers, I was a non-commissioned officer, meaning that I didn't go to Quantico. I didn't go through the commissioned officer program, went through the enlisted program, a little bit different. So I think the mental well-being and the more psychological side is usually an officer-based kind of uh, focus, whereas the enlisted focus is just stay in line, right? Do what you need to do and don't deviate because if you deviate, you're going to break the chain. You break the chain. You're only as strong as your weakest link, right? So if the weakest, if you got too many people trying to run different directions, it's problematic. So that's really where the enlisted. So I'd say I was more of a physical, motivational, but making sure that people were adhering to the tasks that they needed to do physically. And of course, if there was an emotional and, and mental strife, then I would go up the chain of command to the officers that would basically deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Okay. And what about values? So how did the, the, the you were in Marine Corps, yes? Correct. Yes. So the how did the Marine Corps values uh, of honor, commitment, what's the, the, the third courage? Yes. Uh, influence your leadership style? Um, well, you know, I think it really created a, um, a higher platform or a higher bar to aspire to, right? Until you understand that higher level of ethics and morals and essentially application of a brotherhood because semper fidelis, right? Semper fi, it's a brotherhood. Um, you really learn to treat each other as a family. And of course, the key is uh, your life is in their hands and their life is in your hands. So it creates a little bit more of a uh, acute sense of awareness so I think that really helped me. I, I was able to take that and apply it in business. I was able to take that applied in my family. You know, fortunately for my kids, I'm not banging, I'm not banging trash cans at, at five in the morning telling them to get out of bed. <laughs> but
And what about trades? So uh, you spoke about uh, values, principles. Are there any specific traits do you think are most important for any any successful, let's say, successful organization or team member, not just in in, in a matter of uh, Marine Corps? Yeah, I think that the most successful, successful traits you're going to have in an organization is for thinking. So you need to be forward thinking, you know, think about in, in, in any sport, particularly basketball, I love basketball, I played basketball growing up. You know, when you're dribbling, you can't have your head down. You have to be able to learn to dribble and look around the entire court because if you're looking down, you don't know where to go with the ball. So same idea, when, when you're leading, the trait that you need to have is a forward thinking leadership, but also the ability to be resourceful because things don't always go the way you plan them, even if you plan them really well. And if you get stuck, You get stuck, your it's a problem. You need to be able to say, well, plan A didn't work. Plan B didn't work. Plan C didn't work. I need to be resourceful and come up with a plan D like that. You know, so essentially learning those, having those traits or having that, you know, sometimes you don't get born with them. You're, you know, essentially have to learn them. But there's going to be a level of, of tenacity that somebody has that's going to ultimately take on that challenge as opposed to backing away from it, you know? But the important message also is that you can learn, you can make your traits better with practice. Yes? Yes. Practice makes progress, right? Doesn't make perfect, but it makes progress. <laughs> By the way, are there any specific uh, strategies or uh, tactics besides practice that you use from your training in the Marine Corps to help you build successful teams and your business and yourself, your life? Sure. That's a good, that's a good question. I believe uh, it really is um, time blocking, right? So, so a lot of that has to do with discipline and Discipline has to do with allocating, you know, part of it is, you know, everybody gets 24 hours. We all get the same 24 hours a day. We all get the same, you know, 268 hours a week. We all get the same 365 days a year. Why is it some people can make more of that than others? Generally speaking, because they're man they're managing the activities more efficiently and they're probably time blocking, meaning that I'm going to be disciplined and in this window of time, I'm doing this acti this activity and within that activity, I need to get this done. And then they're moving to the next and they're not letting it cross over because when you start blending them together and they start, you know, integrating now, all of a sudden you you're kind of all over the map. So I think that is a very good approach when it comes to optimization. Mm -hmm. And in that set of questions, uh, uh, what advice would you offer to other veterans, for example, who are looking to transition into entrepreneurship or or business leadership roles um take what you've learned in the um in your experience in the military and do your best to apply that to the real world now of course here's the thing i drove amphibious tanks kind of tough to apply that to the real world like i drove you know 36 ton huge amphibious tanks 
I'm not going to go to the real world and say, where's my job driving an amphibious tank? But in that process, what did I learn from uh, specifically driving the tank? Let's not talk about leadership and ethics and morals and, and brotherhood. Let's talk about, well, I learned that for every hour that we operate that tank, we usually spend about five hours pre-oping it or preventive maintenance, right? Because if you're going to take that piece of equipment out into the ocean that is, you know, hundreds of feet deep, you know, if you're coming off of a ship about four miles away out of port and you haven't done a lot of preventive maintenance, you're going down, right? So it's like, okay, maybe I'm not going to be able to take my driving experience of this tank into the real world, but I'm going to take the ap application of, hey, for every hour of operating time, I'm using three or four hours of preparing to operate time or making sure that I'm ready to operate. And that you can take that across anything you do. Hey, if you've got a presentation you need to do that's important, well, don't spend 20 minutes getting ready for an hour presentation. Spend three hours getting ready for an hour presentation, right? So you don't sink in your presentation. <laughs> What has been the most challenging part of running a financial, a specific financial services uh, company, big profit solutions? And what inspired you to, to start uh, the specific company? Yeah, great question. Thank you so much, uh, Martin. I appreciate these questions. They're fun. Um, listen, I got my undergraduate degree at the University of Florida in exercise physiology. Right. That's physical education in layman's terms. Right. I got my master's degree in sports management. So a lot of people ask me, how in the world are you running a financial, you know, peak profit solutions is really a tax efficiency firm. Right. I work I work with people that have a lot of income and I I strategically work with their CPA and their wealth advisor. So I don't step on their toes. I don't replace their CPA. I don't tell them how to invest their money. I just show them ways that they've never seen of how to reduce their tax taxable liability. But that being said, coming back to your question, when I left the University of Florida, I went to New York City and then I went to Los Angeles and I was I was managing and operating high high level or high end fitness companies. And in that process, I learned to be a very good owner operator, right? So I would basically go into the club, I would open the club, I would drive revenue, I would manage expenses, and I was bonused off of EBITDA, right? Your, your profit margin. So I became really good at basically running a process and running a business, and I opened up a lot of different clubs and, 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 and went into clubs and kind of turned them around with different club companies. So I realized I understand business, I like business, and just because I got my background in exercise physiology doesn't mean that I have to stay in that world. I knew that if I left and I worked with business owners because I understood their language, I would be just as happy. And of course, I would have more opportunity for growth. And that was financially speaking, it was a decision in my previous industry. You know, you work yourself to the bone. They're open through, you know, most club fitness clubs are open 365 days a year. And unless you own the club that has multiple, multiple locations, you're not going to be making as much as if you, you know, get into another industry. So I said, 
I'll go into this new industry. And that's where uh, it started. That's where Peak Profit Solutions started, which was I can be a consultant to anyone, with, but business owners was my language. So that was really my focal point of helping business owners. I got a voice in the back of my head Tried fighting it off, but it just keeps on calling, calling When I try to scream, my lungs collapse and Here's where I think particularly small business owners um, kind of trip over their opportunity, like they don't see it, is they're so, they're so involved in their business, they don't step back and work on their business. So that's really, really important and I want to expand on that because when you're not stepping back to work on your business and you're day to day, you're in that business, you don't, you're missing opportunities and one of the biggest opportunities that especially small, but even medium-sized business owners and sometimes large business owners. They miss, they don't look at their tax liability as a profit center. You need to treat your tax liability as a profit center because if you address the taxes proactively, you can reduce the amount of taxes you pay, meaning you increase the profit that you keep. Most people don't, they just look about taxes as, well, I just got to pay them. Well, there's 75,000 pages of tax code. And think about it. Most people hate to pay retail anything, right? They'll look for cute, they'll cut coupons. They'll find discount codes. Taxes is no different. There's a lot of coupons in those 75,000 pages of tax code. You just need to know where to find them. And I'm the Sherpa. I'm the one that helps them apply. You know, I go out with the mining cap. I vet all these different solutions. And I know how to bring them into play with certain certain situations. So that's why I really come in. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a team player. I'm not replacing their CPA. I usually create a good relationship with their CPA, hopefully. I'm not telling them what to do with the money we save. That's for their wealth manager. That's why most of the, my business comes from wealth managers and tax professionals. They're like, hey, you're doing things that I don't have the time or desire or maybe even the, the uh, professional focus to do. So I'm bringing you in as my pinch hitter when I have cases that I've got somebody that's paying a lot of tax and they and they don't like it. <laughs> they bring me in. What do you think are key, let's say, key factors for achieving long-term success in a business venture? Sure. Um, as you grow, make sure that your um, support system, particular to your tax efficiency or inefficiency, is growing with you. I can't tell you how many times I, I'm doing some consulting work with a business owner and maybe their wealth advisor or business owner and their CPA, and they've took their business from zero dollars and 5,000 bucks from their grandma, whatever, I'm just making, you know, and now they've got a million in revenue, 10 million in revenue, 50 million in revenue. I've worked with people that have hundreds of million in revenue as well. And they're still, they don't have a team around their, one of their biggest liabilities. When you, like, for example, California, we're living in California for close to 20 years. 
California citizens pay the biggest sunshine tax in the United States. Their state tax on top of their federal tax can be 13.3%. So as a successful business owner in California, you might be giving 53% of your profit away to the federal government. I know that in Europe, that's probably doesn't sound like much because you know, more of a, there's uh, the taxes are generally higher, but in the US. Comparing Texas, for example, it's pretty high <laughs> number. That's right. So when you add, I mean, when you're basically paying a, an entity more than half of your profit and, you know, arguably they're not helping you build your business, right? I mean, obviously we live in, in, in a, a free country, you know, arguable as we get close. But the the idea is that, you know, I've got more than half of my profit going out. So what I'm saying is sometimes these owners even when they get to 10 million, 20 million, 50 million dollars in profit, they still have a CPA and a wealth advisor and maybe a controller, maybe a controller. It's like, well, what is it? How does Amazon make billions of dollars of profit yet pay no federal tax? It's not because they have Bezos has one CPA, one wealth advisor and one controller, right? He's got a team of business strategists. He's got a team of accountants. He's got a team of attorneys. And they're all basically going through that 75,000 pages of code and saying, what can we do? You know, black and white, not gray. What's in the law that says we can do that's going to be more efficient for us. So I'm not saying that a small business owner has to have a team like, but that's when you bring in the team, right? If you can't put the team together in-house, then you put it together uh, as contractor work. And that's where I come in, like start adding, you know, you need more, like if you're going to play a baseball game and you're a business owner, you need more than a pitcher and a first baseman. You need a shortstop, you need a second baseman, you need a left fielder. And the bigger you grow, the more positions you need. Otherwise, you're not going, you're going to be letting things go. And that's going to create an inefficiency, particularly in taxes. From your experience, what's the awareness level regarding those teams? Are companies uh, still more oriented to one person or they start thinking of in, in a team concepts? I would say in my experience, Martin, that the until in, in a lot of companies, until they come IPO, right, until they become a public company, the awareness just isn't where it should be. And the reason why when it become a public company is because now you have shareholders to answer to and they're very upset when there's low profit and taxes can essentially offset profits. So that's when the awareness comes because a lot of times it's forced upon them. Now, anything below that, the awareness is, I mean, they might be very aware that they need to increase the efficiency of the um, manufacturing process. They may be very aware that they need to increase the efficiency of their procurement, right? Their payables or whatever it is, or they need to, their human resources arm is not really efficient. They're having problems with, um, you know, maintaining or retaining employees, but that's all operational. But they, again, they're missing. What can we do for every dollar that we earn? How much are we keeping? But also as the owner stands, it's not how much you're keeping. It's how much you're also paying, how much less you're paying to the government. So there's two layers. There's profit and then there's there's taxable income. Pay attention to how much taxable income you have and how you can adjust that to keep more of it.
Not just IPO, I mean, uh, exit strategies as well. It would be absolutely fantastic to to have your kind of service uh, if I think about a long-term exit strategy. Absolutely. Martin, let me tell you a story. So this is a fun story. The bad story is sometimes I talk to people and they get introduced to me and they have a tax problem and, and it's great. I can help them. They've got a lot of income, but they also say, Oh, by the way, I actually sold a, a piece of real estate, and I've got to sell. I've got to pay a million, you know, pay taxes on a million dollars a gain, right? I've owned it for a long time. It's appreciated, and it's worth a lot more than I paid for it. And I'm like, oh, I wish you had told me before you sold it, because when it comes to selling appreciated assets, whether it be a business, or whether it be real estate, or whether it be cryptocurrency, or whether it be some stocks that you own that are not in a retirement account, if you structure the sale appropriately prior to the sale. You can potentially eliminate the taxes or defer them almost in perpetuity. So the bad the bad story is when people tell me prior to. The good story is when they tell me, hey, I'm, I'm actually going to be selling my business and we're getting some serious interest. What should I do? Give an example. I'm working with a group out of California now. They're selling their business. Well, they happen to be getting $210 million. Well, in California, we're looking at, you know, for uh, – you're looking at a 40 plus million dollar tax bill on 200 to 10 million at long-term capital gains. So they're really happy because they're not paying that $40 million tax bill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I guess with that being said, when it comes to exiting, as you mentioned before, proactive, uh, please reach out. What things do I need to do prior to the sale that would give me more adv tax advantage? Um, and that's really going to help because after the sale, there's a lot less that can be done. And where can we find more about services offered uh, by Peak Profit Solutions? Best place, best place, Martin, is just go to my website, peakprofitsolutions.com. On that, um, I've got three links. One would be if you want to look at some case studies, click here, give me some information. I'll send you some case studies. One, if you are a tax professional and you're like, hey, I want to integrate this additional uh, layer of efficiency to my business, but for tax professionals, it's really unique. You know, they're going to be able to attract higher profile clients because they, they've got more solutions than the average. And they might even be able to add an additional income stream, you know, because that's the opportunity there as well. Um, so I've got those links for a wealth advisor. What does it mean to partner with me? And then of course, for anyone that has high income tax or they're going to sell an appreciate asset, click on my calendar link, book an appointment. I have free 20, 30 minute consultations. It only takes me 15 minutes of a conversation to determine what type of opportunity is available and what is the potential, you know, what is that potential opportunity? First of all, is there opportunity available and what is the ballpark we're looking at? Like, is this gonna be a 10% tax savings, a 50% tax savings, a 80% tax savings? I usually can, I can usually get a ballpark within 20 minutes. And then of course, from that point forward, we determine you know, how are we going to move forward? Do you want me to do some consulting work and put this together or um, we're not? <laughs> 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.